Apparently I'm a witch. There's something I should have told you. There's a school there for girls like you. You'll be safe. <laughs> Idiots. The only thing you have to be afraid of is me. You girls need to learn to fight. When witches don't fight, we burn. Monster Island Resorters, and thank you for listening once again to the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. My name is Miguel Rodriguez, and I am your host bringing you discussions of horror in history, art, literature, film, and beyond. Today, I have something a little different for you. Actually, it is a lot different from the format of my show normally, but I've been asked to cover the FX horror series American Horror Story, and far be it from me to deny the cries and requests of my hordes of rabid listeners. Now, as you know if you listen, I tend to like to discuss horror or fear as concepts in art rather than do reviews of new or ongoing projects, but I also like to change things up a bit particularly when part of my audience indicates they want something specific. So that said, unlike the Curse of Chucky episode I did recently, these American Horror Story musings will contain spoilers. In fact, I dare say they will be positively rife with plot-revealing information. If you haven't seen the episodes yet, and plan to, then please click stop on this episode, at least for the time being, and check out those episodes or listen to one of my archive of other great episodes that are not as time-sensitive. To add to that, I am covering both the first and second episodes of Season 3 Coven in this episode that you are listening to right now. If you have seen Episode 1 Bitchcraft, but haven't seen Episode 2 Boy Parts, Go watch that second episode and come back later. Because these will be my only episodes where I believe spoilers may be a problem, I've decided to call this my Monster Island Resort American Horror Story Edition episodes, or MIRASI for short. Okay, well, I'm just kidding about that acronym, but seriously, I, uh, these are going to be a little bit different. I'm starting these with Season 3, Coven. I may refer to previous episodes in past seasons, but one of the things I love about the show is that each season is a completely different story. One need not see seasons one or two in order to enjoy or understand season three. If you are listening to this and have continued to listen through my spoiler warning, then chances are pretty good you already knew that. I still like to mention it, as I believe it is a clever and smart idea for television. Most shows tend to outlive their welcome by going longer than they were able to stretch any particular story or any particular character arc. One person pointed out to me that the series creators, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk, were really only great at making first seasons. So this is kind of an added bonus to starting each season of American Horror Story as a 
kind of season one for all intents and purposes. As funny as I think that is, I can't personally speak to it or agree to it because I have seen neither Glee nor Nip Tuck, the other major shows that that creative team is responsible for. As long as I'm talking about the creative team, I might as well say that joining them in the writing, producing, directing capacity is Tim Minier, who Joss Whedon fans will recognize from Angel, Firefly, and Dollhouse. James Wong, who helped bring the excellent X-Files and Millennium series to the small screen, among others. And also Jennifer Salt and Jessica Scharzer, both of whose writing and producing credits include Nip Tuck, The L Word, and other properties I am not personally familiar with. Most of the cast returns each season in completely different roles. The tour de force performance has definitely come from Jessica Lang in seasons 1 and 2, but she may have some competition for that title from both Kathy Bates and Angela Bassett in Coven, both of whom chew up the horror scenery, projectile vomit it all over the walls, then suck it back up through crazy straws. Angela Bassett is full of power and electricity in every frame, and we haven't seen Kathy Bates this evil since Misery. Coven opens up in New Orleans in 1834. Kathy Bates plays the particularly venomous Marie Delphine Lafleurie, showing off her insolent group of daughters while secretly performing hideous acts of torture on her slaves. One thing that we should know is that Lafleurie is an actual historical figure of some considerable infamy. I want to take some time to talk about this a little bit because the creators of American Horror Story have, in interviews, publicly said that this season would be more fun and playful after what they call a rather dark and dour second season in Asylum. For those of you who don't know, Marie Delphine Lafleurie was a New Orleans socialite in the early 1800s. La Laurie was a prominent figure in the city for a while, having married a Spanish officer, then a lawyer, and finally a physician. By the time she was around 57 years of age, La Laurie and her third husband, Leonard La Laurie, built a large mansion at 1140 Royal Street in New Orleans. As with many of her peers, she owned a number of slaves who had living quarters attached to the Royal Street mansion. That mansion was finished in 1832. A mere two years later, in 1834, there was a large fire at the mansion, which of course brought firefighters and police over to the property. And when they responded, they found a true horror on the premises. Slaves were found in various states of being chained, strung up in terrible manners, or even mutilated. The levels of abuse were so bad that a mob in the city actually formed and descended upon the mansion to ransack it, demolishing everything they could find. Many of the slaves they did find in rescue did later die, and more bodies of dead and abused slaves were found buried on the grounds. Although the extremity of her abuses has been exaggerated over the years in countless stories since the events happened, and no doubt they are exaggerated here, the gruesome and horrific truth behind Bates's character make this season of American Horror Story considerably less campy, even if other events in the show do take things in a more light-hearted direction. It's hard for me to reconcile the two and leaves me with a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, but still, maybe that is the point. Horror isn't supposed to be comfortable, after all. I have yet to decide whether the inclusion of La Laurie as a character 
is brilliant or in poor taste. And of course, it can be absolutely both of those things. And the fact that it is making me rattle on at length is a testament in favor of the show, I'd say. Plus, Kathy Bates is just so damn brilliant in the role. Anyway, back to the show. We are treated to some truly disturbing imagery of the mutilated state of La Laurie's slaves after she catches her daughter with the houseman. She decides to punish him by turning him into a sort of real-life minotaur, using an actual bull's head and fastening it over his actual head. It's a pretty dreadful scene, followed by an equally disturbing opening title sequence. The title sequences of American Horror Story have always been, for me, the scariest part of the show. The theme song by Cesar de Villa Isari and Charlie Clauser is exceptionally haunting. By the way, I have been told that the opening credits are like a Nine Inch Nails video, which is actually appropriate, of course, because Charlie Clauser is from Nine Inch Nails. But anyway, this little sequence keeps the tradition of being the most disturbing part of the show, combining difficult KKK imagery with various voodoo themes and shocking pictures and, and so forth. It's definitely a great, uncomfortable combination. Returning after keeping away for a second season is the actress Tysa Farmiga as Zoe Benson. It's a different name, but she is again playing an angsty teenage girl. She sneaks into a house with a boy who suddenly dies a bloody death right in the middle of their coitus. With a series of cuts and flashbacks, we learn that Zoe is a witch, which apparently is a genetic in this universe. Her mother sends her away to a witch school in New Orleans, led by Sarah Paulson, who is playing her third role of the series. This time, the coven leader, Cordelia Fox. We get a lot of background about why Zoe has to remain hidden and sent to a secret school, including mentions of the Salem witch hunts since Zoe's bloodline goes back to those witches. I am happy to say that they show flashbacks to that time and show accused witches getting hanged in those scenes rather than burned at the stake, as so many other Salem stories erroneously claim. It is always strange, though, to have witch movies or horror stories set in the time of Salem witch hunts. As with the sketchiness of having Delphine Lachlaurie as a character on the show, it is always rather sketchy to talk about the poor innocent women who were hanged in Salem as having been actually guilty of what they were being hanged for. But that's just a thought. Zoe is escorted to Miss Robichaud's Academy for Exceptional Young Girls by a host of strange-looking men in black. There are a number of other catty witch girls waiting for her, each of whom has a special power as a result of her witchiness. I remarked while watching this scene that this was kind of like a New Orleans Hogwarts school. Thankfully, Jessica Lange's character later makes the same joke, so she kind of saved me from really making that joke in this episode. But I did realize that this isn't really like Hogwarts. It's more like Charles Xavier's school for gifted youngsters in the X-Men comics. Each girl has a different power in Coven, kind of like the mutant powers in the X-Men comics, and they manifest themselves in very similar ways to the ways the mutant powers manifest themselves during puberty. And of course, there is the high school drama aspect of the girls who don't get along. Add to that the drama between Coven leader Cordelia Fox and her mother, the ironically named Fiona Good, played by the charismatic Jessica Lang. 
Fiona has the unfortunately typical older female character desire to keep looking young. It's Elizabeth Bathory syndrome, but we see it almost every time there is an older female villain, and to be honest, it's a bit tired. Fortunately, Lang continues to give us an over-the-top performance to enjoy, particularly with her own witchy mutant power. Ms. Good's sudden reappearance at Ms. Robichaud's Academy for Exceptional Young Girls has her daughter Cordelia feeling a bit frustrated and suspicious. They talk a little bit about some powerful supreme witches who have the power of resurgence or resurrection, among other powers, and they talk about one such possible witch named Misty Day, played by Lily Rabe in her third role of the series. They give a little backstory about her and mention that she was caught and burned alive by a mob of Protestants. The story is a little bit of a horror story itself for the girls of the school, so they learn to keep their powers a secret. Or, as Cordelia says, Our lives are always at risk. Know this, or face extinction. The show rather clumsily demonstrates each of the young witch's powers in a single conflict scene, but I have to credit them with trying to get some of that expository slop out of the way by showing it rather than just having them tell it. Jamie Brewer from season one returns as Nan, this time as a clairvoyant witch, whose power will likely drive some of the season. Gabourey Sidabe has the interesting voodoo doll power, where whatever harm she inflicts on herself happens to someone else. Emma Roberts plays the spoiled movie star, telekinetic witch, named Madison. Madison decides to take new girl Zoe to a horribly annoying frat boy party, where Zoe meets frat boy Kyle, played by season one and two's Evan Peters. While she and Kyle are getting to know each other, Madison is taken by a bunch of Kyle's frat brothers to a secret room and gang-raped. It is a scene that is again a bit too intense for a season that presumes to be more lighthearted and campy, but it does end with Madison destroying all the frat boys by flipping over their bus as it drives away with her witchy telekinetic powers. So now Madison and Zoe have a bit of a secret that they harbor. The next day, Fiona Good takes them all on a field trip down New Orleans, where the clairvoyant Nan leads them to the home of Marie Delphine Lachlaurie, and we are treated to a flashback involving Lachlaurie's end at the hands of Angela Bassett's character, Marie Laveau. Just as in real life, no one really knows exactly what happened to Lachlaurie, but in the universe of American Horror Story, we have Psychic Nan, who identifies the exact spot where Marie Laveau buried her. So, the show ends with a bit of two stories intertwining. We have Zoe sneaking into the hospital where one frat boy who had survived the bus crash is unconscious on life support, and she has sex with his prone body in order to kill him since she does have sex death powers. Meanwhile, Fiona Good sneaks to the La Lachrie mansion and digs up the grave to find a remarkably preserved and very much alive Marie Delphine Lachlaurie chained within the coffin. Roll credits. There is something here that's a little sick about sex being the weapon against a rapist, and I'm reminded of how the character Jennifer Hills in the movie I Spit on Your Grave led her own multiple rapist to his doom with the promise of sex. Maybe that discomfort is the point, but it still feels a bit icky and wrong. 
I am just glad it was Zoe, rather than Madison, who was the actual victim of the rape, who was shown getting revenge in this particular manner. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. I'd be interested to know. It is, I suppose, a bit of eye-for-an-eye justice that she raped the rapist, since his being unconscious means that what she did to him was definitely rape, and I suppose his subsequent death from her lethal intercourse can be considered a bit of interest. I'm just going to tell myself that her magic death sex also magically leaves no evidence of her being there on his southern parts. It just seems to me there could have been an easier way for her to do away with him, without tons of bodily juices being involved. So, episode 2, Boy Parts, picks off more or less where Bitchcraft lift off. The opening scene shows two gator hunters being dispatched by the gators they just killed. Gators that were resurrected by Supreme Witch Misty Day, who we saw burned alive in the previous episode. Meanwhile, there is some tension between Zoe and Madison, because Zoe didn't think that the frat boy Kyle deserved to die with the rest of his frat brothers in the bus, since he wasn't involved in the gang rape, and in fact tried to stop it. Madison isn't convinced, and is rather cold about the whole thing, which of course is a bit understandable. Fiona Good is hiding a rather ripe La Laurie in her bedroom when cops knock at the door to interview Zoe and Madison about the bus crash. They talk about the boy who was killed in the hospital, and his death being the same manner in which Zoe's old boyfriend died, which makes Zoe break down and confess that not only is she a witch, but everybody in the house is a witch, and it's a bit of a surprising outburst. Cordelia and Madison are shocked at Zoe's candor, and Fiona enters the room to use magic to make the cops forget everything, with a bit of a fascinating mental struggle from one of them. Of course, Fiona is furious with Zoe, but Madison realizes what Zoe did at the hospital and why. She decides to show her gratitude by stealing one of Cordelia's spells and taking Zoe to the morgue where they're housing the pieces of frat boy from the bus crash, which apparently dismembered all of them. In true Frankenstein fashion, they, go, they seek out to make one boy from the parts of many, including Kyle's head in order to bring it back to life. Zoe, who tries to ask Madison to stop and pleads and, and uh, indicates that she doesn't want any part of this, really doesn't do much to stop her in any way, and in fact seems quite interested in it. Meanwhile, we see that Cordelia Fox herself is desperate to have a child with her husband, another typical female character conflict, frankly, and is convinced to use magic to make baby time more fruitful. Neither spell, whether with Frank and Kyle or with her baby, seems to be too charming. In fact, appears to house a lot of darkness with it. Fiona Good gets some of Delphine Lachlaurie's backstory about how Marie Laveau and her rabble hanged all of her daughters before giving her a potion of immortality and burying her alive to remain alive in a coffin for all eternity. It's a pretty rough punishment for a pretty notorious character. Fiona has a great reaction to this sob story by absent-mindedly munching on a greasy fried chicken leg. Her interest in this story is purely selfish, of course, as she runs immediately to find Marie Laveau, still very much alive and working in a salon. Speaking of still alive, Madison abandons Zoe in the morgue after thinking the spell failed. But of course, the spell was successful, 
and Frank and Kyle wakes up to kill a poor, unsuspecting morgue attendant. Zoe takes him in the morgue attendant's car to find another character who is supposed to be dead has hitched a ride. This character is the Supreme Witch, Misty Day, who had been burned at the stake by the Protestants. She says she has the means to heal Frank and Kyle, and takes them to her little shack in the swamp, where she plays some killer Stevie Nicks tunes, and rattles on at length about Stevie Nicks being a white witch herself. Fiona has a bit of a confrontation with Marie Laveau back at the salon, demanding the secret to eternal youth, and hinting to her about Delphine Lachlaurie's freedom before storming off. Back at home, psychic Nan can't stand the loud thoughts of La Lachlaurie, so she unties her and lets her go. This seems like it's going to be a big plot-heavy disaster, but it doesn't last long because Fiona Good finds Delphine Lachlaurie back at her old mansion and convinces her to go with her back to the witch school. I suppose most depressing is the revelation that Angela Bassett's character, Marie Laveau, has been keeping her old honey as a minotaur all these years. That's right, it appears that back in 1834, Marie Laveau was getting revenge on Lachlachri for what she had done to not only all the slaves, but in particular the slave who she turned into a minotaur. And here he is, all this time later, still with a bull's head on his shoulders. So far, Coven will keep me watching, but I'm having some issues with some of the character choices. Farmiga Zoe seems all over the place, at times brimming with confidence, and at others completely unsure of herself, or downright fragile. I wasn't convinced that she would be so quick to break down to the cops so easily about not only her own powers, but about the powers of everyone she now lives with. As a character trait, that seems in direct opposition to the absolute gall it would take to not only break into a hospital, but also to rape an unconscious patient to death. That is clearly still a scene I'm a bit uncomfortable with, but one that has made me think more than perhaps the creators even intended, which I appreciate. The exact character of Angela Bassett's fiery Marie Laveau also has me a bit perplexed. When she was introduced, she had the righteousness of justice on her side, even if it was a bit colored with bloodlust and revenge. As we see more of her, though, she seems to be a bit more of a mirror to the darkness of her nemesis, Marie Delphine Lachlaurie. That both characters share first names does not escape me. I found the revelation that Laveau had evidently not only kept Lachlaurie's victim in Minotaur form, but also gave him the immortality potion so he would stay that way forever, completely unnerving and particularly cruel. Of course, we don't get any of his point of view, so there's no telling how he takes this. Unfortunately, the show overall is suffering from what a lot of shows, films, books, and other media suffer from. The main protagonists are simply not nearly as interesting as the supporting characters. I'm speaking here mostly of Zoe Benson. Both her and her new Franken-boyfriend Kyle are completely bland as characters. So far, only a couple of Zoe's actions have made me take note, and when they do, they completely contradict each other, as I have pointed out. There's nothing to make me care for Kyle and what has happened to him. In fact, I spend most of that time just kind of looking at my watch and waiting for Jessica Lange, Kathy Bates, Angela Bassett, or even Gabourey Sidibe to return to the screen. We get glimpses of Sidibe's character Queenie's backstory, but only glimpses, 
just as we get only glimpses of Jamie Brewer's Nan. Both of them are far, far more interesting than Formiga's monotonous Zoe character, and I'm likewise rather disinterested in Lily Rabe's Misty Day. I suppose I shouldn't call them Farmiga and Rabe's characters, because I don't at all fault the actors necessarily for the dullness of their time on screen. I just think that they are dull, suburban, white girl characters with nothing for me to respond to, and not particularly well written. It's kind of like watching a Bratz movie when they are on screen. And I can only count it a blessing that the La Larie, Laveau, Fiona Good storylines take up just as much screen time. The trifecta of Jessica Lang, Kathy Bates, and Angela Bassett in a horror show really makes for some extremely watchable television. Oh, and I also have to give some serious props, no pun intended, to the prosthetics work when Madison and Zoe were putting together the body parts for Frank and Kyle. They were appropriately gruesome and quite well made, and that was a fun scene just for the body pieces. Well, that's my overview of American Horror Story Coven's Episode 1, Bitchcraft, and Episode 2, Boy Parts. After this, I'm going to try and make a new podcast for every episode as they air, so it'll only be one at a time, hopefully. Be sure to keep up with the show, because these podcasts will be absolutely riddled with spoilers, as I warned at the beginning. As an additional bit of factoids for you, by the way... The Delphine Lachlaurie Mansion can indeed be toured today, so if you do go to New Orleans, I highly recommend it. It would be a great pairing to watching this season of American Horror Story. By the way, the house is owned by none other than the Cage Rage himself, Nicolas Cage. Please give me any feedback about my reactions to this show. I've only seen each episode one time, so these are some first-time knee-jerk reactions that I have. I'd like to know your thoughts about what I liked as well as about what I may not have liked so much. Some of the content of the show has been pretty ripe for discussion, so I'd love to hear from you. My email is miguel at hifilmfest.com, and even better, you can follow me on Twitter and join the conversation. My Twitter handle is at MonsterResorts. Of course, I am on Facebook as well. I hope you enjoyed this American Horror Story edition of the Monster Island Resort, and until next episode, stay scared.